The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Please turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 3. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer first. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to be up here tonight. I thank you for our pastor who preaches the word of God faithfully to us. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to stand up here tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'll give me wisdom as I preach. I pray that your people will be edified and that your name will be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, my topic is total depravity. So the question must be asked, are you a good person? What would you say? What would the average person say? What would the world's best 10-year-old girl say? Well, she's not here, so I can talk about her. <clears throat> so Madison and I were sitting in the living room one night, and she was, um, she was on the floor playing with something. And so I just asked her, I said, Madison, are you a good person? And she just sat there. Finally, she said, Dad, is this a trick question? And I said, no, I really want to know. So she pondered it for a moment. And finally, she answered, no. I said, that's a good answer. Then I asked her why. She thought about that for a moment. And then she said, because we're all sinners. I said, that's a very good answer. And her answer is telling, because we know what most people would say. They'd say that they're good, or that they're better than most. Because unsaved people have a very high opinion of themselves. Why is that? Because we live in a day when man is highly exalted. We live in a society where the will of man is the center of all things, and to offend man is the greatest of sins. But what you believe about man, and what you believe about what the Bible teaches about man, will guide and influence how you interpret God's word. Even in the church, modern evangelism has de-emphasized the sovereignty of God and enshrined the will and opinions of men. So tonight, we'll explore what the Bible asserts about us. Tonight, we'll be looking at our standing before God. We will see in these verses how the Apostle Paul will strip away any pretense one would have about boasting in being worthy of God's favor and in one standing before a holy God. It is important to understand who we are before God. It is important to understand what it is we actually deserve from God and what it is we've been saved from. It is imperative that we understand this doctrine of total depravity, 
or better said, this doctrine of total inability. You see, Christians today will affirm that man's depravity is real, but they fail to see that it's total. We need to see how radically sinful we really are. So here are a few implications of this doctrine and why we have to understand it correctly. Number one, the way we disciple our children. Our children are not basically good, as our society teaches. They're depraved sinners. The only difference between them and us is hopefully we understand our depravity. Our children need us to love them enough to teach and instruct them about their true spiritual condition. Number two, the establishment of government. There is a difference between the establishment of government between people that think that man is basically good and those that believe that man is a sinful creature. If you don't believe in total depravity, it will change the way you view guilt or innocence. It will change the way you view punishment. You might say, did this person sin or was it just the way they were raised? In other words, an external cause made them this way rather than a sin nature, thereby excusing their behavior. Number three, this doctrine will also affect how one views mental illness. We, saw, we see all around us today the overdiagnosis of mental illnesses. Anxiety and depression seem to be the most common. When I was young, almost nobody had any of these afflictions. Now they're everywhere. I read a study that said prescription stimulants have gone from 600,000 in 1990 to 3.5 million by 2011. Imagine where we are now seven years later. Popular drugs like Adderall and Ritalin are being prescribed to children as young as six years old. It is a $4 billion industry. It's interesting because the main ingredient in these drugs is amphetamine, or speed. You would think that this would make children even more hyper, but actually what it does in the short term is it makes them focus. They do homework better. They're more obedient. In short, they're much less trouble for adults to deal with. I'm sure in the years to come we will see the catastrophic effect of these drugs much like we are seeing the fallout of psychotropic medication being prescribed to our children today. Children are supposed to be hyper. That's why they have us. We have to teach them. The problem is, is that we are living in a culture that is in continual denial of this doctrine. It is much easier to take drugs than deal with the complexities of life and the recognition of our depraved nature. Number four, this doctrine affects the way we share the gospel. There's a difference between the way we share the gospel with someone that we think is kind of bad and the way we do it with someone we believe to be totally depraved. Number five, this doctrine affects the way we hear and receive the gospel. So if I feel like I'm a pretty good person, I will never, uh, I will never comprehend the depths of my own sin and the depths of my need for Christ. If I feel like I'm a pretty good person, I will never adequately glorify Christ. I will never worship and magnify him in the way he deserves to be worshipped because I will never really understand the vast difference between him and me.
So this all sounds pretty bad, but you need to get the bad news before you get the good news. So if you're in Romans chapter 3, you don't have to stand. We have a lot of verses to read. You can just stay seated. We're in verses 9 through 18. So Paul is addressing his Jewish brethren who thought they were somehow better than others. And this is what he says. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So, this is the picture of man in his sin. The Second London Baptist Confession of 1689 says, As the consequence of his fall into a state of sin, man has lost all ability to will the performance of any of those works spiritually good that accompany salvation. As a natural, unspiritual man, he is dead in sin and altogether opposed to that which is good. Hence, he is not able by any strength of his own to turn himself to God or, notice, even to prepare himself to turn to God. This was written 329 years ago. So this is not a novel concept. This doctrine has been affirmed by such reformed confessions as the Westminster and Belgic. It's been affirmed by our own New Hampshire Baptist Confession, the Philadelphia Baptist Confession, and the first and second London Baptist Confession. All these historic confessions affirm this and they agree with what we just read in Romans chapter 3. Now ask the average churchgoer if they've heard these confessions or even believe them. The answer to both would probably be no. But this has been our condition since Adam. Adam and Eve were created perfect, and they fell, and wrath came upon all their descendants. So we, will, we sin willfully. We sin eagerly. There is no free will in us to do anything except to pursue our sinful desires. I feel like uh, um, Dalton and I are kind of on the same page on this one. A free will would no more follow Christ than a dead man could raise himself from the grave. Jeremiah 13.23 puts it this way. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Those that contend that there is some prevenient or preceding grace resonant in man that enables him to exercise his free will just does not understand this doctrine. 
that prompted Martin Luther to say, free will is, an em is a mere empty term whose reality is lost. And a lost liberty, according to my grammar, is no liberty at all. Luther didn't deny that we have a will, but it is not free. It is a will that is enslaved to our sin nature, and it is, and it is incapable of making any positive move toward God. This is not a new idea. Psalm 14, 1 through 3 says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and see God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. This is, uh, this is reiterated in Psalm, almost verbatim in Psalm 53, 1 through 3. So are we getting the picture? Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we better than they? No. In no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. So who is Paul addressing here? Everybody. The entire human race. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Notice in verses 10 through 12, none righteous, none that understands, none that seeketh, none that doeth good. Over and over again, he states the same thing. In order to be clear, in order to have no misunderstandings, Every single person on the face of the earth from Adam till the end of time is in the same condition. And what is that condition? Utterly ruined by sin and helpless to affect any change to that condition whatsoever. There is no one who is righteous. No one. Our problem is that we read this, but we don't really appreciate how radically sinful we really are. We want to think that God grades on a curve. Somehow, we want to think that just because some men have been so much more evil than other men, that God has to grade on a curve. I think people evaluate their spiritual condition this way. Imagine you're with a group of hikers when suddenly you are confronted with a grizzly bear charging at you. What do you do? Well, naturally, you run. To survive this encounter, you don't have to be the fastest runner. You just have to be faster than the slowest one. This is literally the extent to which people think about their standing before God. I don't have to be righteous. I just have to be better than others, and God will give me a pass because there are so many people that are worse than me. But the truth is, just because some men are not as bad as they could be does not mean that anybody has a better standing before a holy God. We're all condemned. Another problem we see is this. 
People will not argue that sin is universal, that is, that it touches all of us, but they fail to grasp that sin affects every single aspect of us. Modern churches have a fundamental misunderstanding of total depravity at this point in that they look at man as sick or impaired rather than dead. They don't say that there is no effect of sin or the fall. What they do say, however, is that there is still some aspect of man's spirit that can respond to God. So while they say they believe in total depravity, what they mean is that man is not so depraved that he cannot, that he will not, that he is totally unable and unwilling to respond to God. Here's the problem with that idea. Paul says that there is no one who is righteous. There is no one who understands. No one seeks for God. How is someone going to do what the Bible says they are unable to do? Well, here's the answer. Ephesians 2.1 And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses in sins. This is all the work of God. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee. Psalm 65, 4. We contribute nothing. This is really the crux of the argument, though, isn't it? Our Arminian friends contend that there is some good in man that can respond to God. But the Bible describes our condition this way. Death blindness, hardness, slavery, darkness, alienation. This condition affects the body, the mind, the emotions, the will, the desires, the motives, and the behavior. Ephesians 4.18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them, because of what? Because of the blindness of their heart. Continuing in Romans chapter 3, excuse me, 13 and 14, <clears throat> their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Notice in verses 13 and 14, throat, tongues, lips, mouth, entirely corrupted. And notice again, this is not in private. This is an open public expression of caustic, derisive hostility towards one's enemies. Note that this is not physical aggression, but verbal James 3, 5, and 6 puts it well. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a, is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and set it on, setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Matthew 15:11 Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, 
but that which cometh out of the mouth. This defileth a man. What is one of the best evidences that we do not belong to God? It's what comes out of our mouth. Now this is, this is what the Bible says about just this aspect of our depravity. But let me contrast this with what the world says. Who knows who Deepak Chopra is? Who's heard of him? Anyone? Okay. He was, he was, uh, this goes back, maybe I'm, I'm getting, I'm dating myself here, but uh, Larry King. Ever watch Larry King? Okay, this guy was on Larry King all the time. He was kind of this really soft-spoken sort of Hindu spiritual guru type guy, right? So here's, here's what Deepak has to say. You are the luminous mystery in which the entire universe with its forms and phenomena arises and subsides. When this realization dawns, there is a complete transformation of your personal self into your universal self. The complete loss of all fear, including death. You have become a being who radiates love the same way the sun radiates light. You have finally arrived at the place from which your journey began. You have finally arrived. I've read this at least ten times. It is nonsense. I can't even make sense of what he's talking about. Sounds great. How is all this going to happen? Notice what he says. When this realization dawns. How is this going to dawn? He doesn't say. Again, how do dead people realize anything apart from God making them alive spiritually? But it does illustrate the fundamental issue, which is human effort apart from God. I'm reminded of the words of Isaiah 14, 13, and 14. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Depraved human nature elevates self and robs God of his rightful place. <clears throat> if you're still in Romans, go to uh, verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. This is a quote from Isaiah 59, 7-8. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. So not only is our speech corrupt, but our actions as well. Fallen man damages and destroys everything he touches. He leaves a trail of pain and suffering in his wake. Why? Because fallen man wants what he wants and everyone else is an obstacle to his own satisfaction. Notice, before we saw an anatomical description, throat, tongues, lips, 
mouth. Now we see physical actions or movement. Romans 3.15 and 16. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. This is what we do. This is the state of fallen man. This was our state before salvation. Ephesians 2.3. Among whom also we all had our conversation or manner of life in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And finally, Romans 3.18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So this is man's true spiritual condition. I like to refer back to the Old Testament because we see a consistent message. Nothing has changed. Psalm 36, 1 through 4. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. He flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to, and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. I don't see anything good resident in man in these verses. There is no hope in and of ourselves. All of mankind is under a curse. His mouth speaks all the things that are keeping with that curse. His feet take him to the places that will fulfill all his wicked desires. He wreaks havoc upon himself and his fellow man. But he does not know what is wrong. And he does not know what he can do about it. Why? Because he's blind. Because he's lost. Look at what Christ says to the church at Laodicea. Revelation 3.17 Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. This is the state of the unregenerate man. Look again at the description. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. We are deficient in mind, body, and spirit. The world and modern churches have gotten the mistaken idea that all that is needed is reformation. All we need to do is modify behaviors and everything will work out. Stop swearing, stop drinking, stop looking at the wrong things, stop going to the wrong places, start dressing better, clean up your act. If we can just guide people, if we can just cajole or influence them, then we'll be successful. But what have we done? All we've done is suppress all the filth on the inside from coming out. Now think of a person or a group that you would say is totally depraved. Are you thinking? When I think about total depravity, I think of World War II. I find this period in history to be the most interesting 
It's like the whole world went mad all at the same time. We had Tojo in Japan. Who do we have in Italy? Mussolini. Who do we have in Spain? Franco. Soviet Union had Stalin. And of course, we had Adolf Hitler's Nazis in Germany. Now, while all these men were extremely wicked in their own right, I think the Nazis really embodied the worst of human depravity. Bear with me while I illustrate what I mean. It's 1943. You are a Polish Jew imprisoned in the Warsaw Ghetto. Every day at the hands of your captors, you witness beatings, rapes, starvation, and murders. Then one day, you are herded into a railroad car. You are packed so tight you can barely move. You have no food. You have no water. There are no bathrooms. If it's summer, the rail car is so hot that you can barely breathe. If it's winter, the rags covering your body cannot prevent the biting, unrelenting cold from assaulting every inch of you. The door slams shut and the train begins its journey. People are perishing all around you. How long will you be trapped in this rolling coffin? Where are they taking you? Just contemplating the enormity of your plight would be enough to drive you mad. Then one day you arrive at Auschwitz, Dachau, Treblinka, to the site of armed soldiers, dogs, and a barbed wire death camp. Your horror culminates in seeing the last thing that has given you hope and solace being ripped away. Your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, taken. And that's the last time you ever see them again. You're left with the agony of thinking that they will face the same cruel death that you will. And there is nothing that you can do to change that outcome. Nothing. Now this was done by men and women that had families just like their victims. They knew exactly the kind of unspeakable torments that they were, uh, that they were perpetrating on their fellow men. But they did it anyway. Think about it. What would it take to systematically orchestrate the murder of millions of people. Imagine the meticulous planning and implementation that would be required to accomplish this evil plan. Do you think someone could have appealed to the hearts of these people and tell them that what they were doing was wrong? Was reformation what they needed? No. They needed transformation. And only Jesus Christ can transform hearts that wicked. But the reality is that if it were not for the grace of God, we wouldn't be any better 
We are all capable of committing sins, just as heinous, and many have. Think of abortion. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, there has been more than 60 million abortions in this country. This is 10 times what the Nazis did. And what is this that's happening? It's nothing less than state-sanctioned murder. This wickedness is promoted by many in our government and populace. The Nazis called it the final solution. What do we call it? A woman's right to choose. We recoil at the systematic murder of an entire class of human beings in Nazi Germany, but we barely flinch about the reality of another Holocaust happening every day in every town in this country. It just illustrates that this depravity is in all of us. It's endemic. Why does this happen? Because they don't understand. But I didn't either. They don't seek God, but I didn't either. They don't do good. I didn't either. They're not righteous. I wasn't either. That was me. That was you. We think that this is true about everybody else, but we don't think it's true about us. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Why is there evil in the world? It's because the human heart is desperately wicked. And our wickedness cannot be overcome by us. We had a great need when we were in the depths of our depravity. And we as Christians still have a great need. We haven't arrived, as Deepak says. Our sanctification is a lifelong process. So the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice in verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. What we needed was the gospel. What this world still needs is the gospel. Remember Ephesians 2, 3? Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But wait. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy 
for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. And Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we understand what we've been saved from, eternal punishment in hell, we will also understand what we've been saved unto, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When we understand who we really are, we will understand that there are no good people, that the good that we are is because of the grace and love and mercy of God. And this is good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that pierces all the way through, that exposes our depravity, shows us our need. I pray, Lord, that tonight what we heard was helpful. I pray that it brought glory to your name. Help us to be the people you want us to be, Lord. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.